If you have a story you would like to hear featured on this podcast, please go to AsTheRavenDreams.com and click the button to submit your story. Also, if the platform you're listening on has the option to rate this podcast, please consider doing so. And thank you. I don't think that my son is the same kid he once was. I mean, sure, he is the same person or body, but I don't think his mind or personality is the same. I know it sounds strange, but that's why I'm writing this, to further explain what I mean. My son's name is Cameron Michael, first and middle. He was born May 4th, 2007, He had brown straight hair, taking after his mom as mine was blonde, and he always liked it on the longer side. We always let him decide what he wanted to do with his hair, never forcing him to grow it out or cut it. We just kept it managed, so either way, it wasn't in his face, but that was it. He was even beginning to like having half of his head shaved and keeping the other half long. He also enjoyed anything Marvel or insect-related. He wasn't afraid to catch grasshoppers, crickets, pillbugs, or even spiders, although we wouldn't let him hold many spiders. I remember we even got him a bug-catching kit for his birthday the year prior, and he was ecstatic. He was also very outgoing. Anytime we ran into another kid at the park or at the mall, you name it, He was quick to approach them. He would introduce himself, and he would then ask them who their favorite superhero was. As for his name, he always wanted to be called Cameron. He didn't even like the idea of being called Cam for short. Just a few important things that I can think of that changed after this incident. Back in May of 2016... We celebrated his birthday, and his big present that year was a bike. He didn't really have one prior because we were living in an apartment, but we had recently moved into a rental home. He was really close to his cousin Brett, and he loved riding his bike when he was at his house, so we agreed to get him one this year. As expected, he was always wanting to ride it. When he got home from school, we had to practically barter with him to get his homework done before he went out to ride. My wife and I would typically walk alongside him to the park so we could ride around the path or the open parking lot without much traffic. It was a Sunday evening, and Cameron wanted to go ride his bike before it got late since he had school the next day. It wasn't dark yet, so we didn't have to worry about lights, but he did have reflective lights on the bike, as well as his helmet. It was just going to be me and him as my wife was staying behind to clean up the kitchen. We left the house and started heading right towards the park. We pretty much lived behind it, so I was planning on walking down there with him, circling around, and then coming back home. Everything was fine until we started walking back home. There was a community board posted at the entrance, and sometimes they have events and sometimes people like to leave their own dramatic notes, so I was glossing over it. 
Cameron was circling the parking lot, and I told him to give me a moment, and he continued to ride around as he's always done before. It was really no different than any other time, so I wasn't exactly worried about keeping my eye on him as long as I could hear him. But, to my horror, I also started hearing a car seemingly rev up really loud, getting closer, and then suddenly brakes squealing. I turned around, and I was faced with the worst thing to ever happen to me. Cameron was lying on the ground a few feet in front of this car, with his bike underneath it, all mangled up. I ran to my son, expecting the worst. The rest of that night was a blur, and it was like I was standing still, but everyone around me was moving at hyperspeed. Yes, the person that hit him was arrested for reckless driving, and Cameron did turn out alright. He had several broken bones, but surprisingly, he only had a concussion and no other head or cranial damage. I'm still very thankful that we bought that helmet. However, after some time, I wasn't convinced that everything was alright due to the drastic changes in him that I witnessed. It was a little slow to get back to his normal, playful, and curious self, but I did start noticing things changing. One of the first was that he was not interested in Marvel or superheroes whatsoever. His birthday was Iron Man themed, but he seemed completely disinterested in it. His interests altogether had changed. Now, he was obsessed with trains and locomotives, which was fine, but it was also the amount of knowledge that he seemed to have about them. He got a book on them and he was showing me the pictures and explaining the different parts on it, and how it all worked. I asked him how he knew all this, like, joking around. He just looked at me deadpan and said, I used to work on them, and continued talking. He was nine years old. How could he have possibly ever worked on a train? Other than the train thing... There were other personality changes, such as the shows that he watched, or even activities and hobbies that he had. He started playing chess, and he was good at it from the start. Hell, he actually taught me how to play properly because I didn't know. He also cut his hair short, so it grew out evenly and parted it to the side, something he had never done before. He seemed fascinated in electronics, though, even things as simple as a desktop computer. He had seen it and even used it infrequently, but he always asked about how it worked, as if he had never actually seen it before. And one of the strangest things of all to me was the name part. He said he hated being called Cameron, and when asked, he said that he preferred to be called Cam or even Michael, but he then asked to be called Frankie. Again, I was confused because that was nowhere close to any of his names. I couldn't even recall any games or shows or movies that we watched that had someone with that name. So, I again asked about the name, and he said, Oh, that was my old name. My wife was home with us when this all happened, and she was just as confused. We tried to ask him more about the name, the train thing 
all of it, and he just broke down. He said that he doesn't remember everything, but he thinks something happened when he got hit. He said that he doesn't think he's in the right body, and he didn't know how to live with it. Then he just cried, and we did everything we could to calm him down and try to cheer him up. We tried not to bring it up again in front of him, because we didn't want to upset him, but we tried to look into this a little more. We started with the therapist, to ask questions for ourselves. We had no intentions of putting him through that just because he had changed. Part of us thought that maybe he was just a growing boy. His personality could be changing. We were really stuck between that and could this be related to the accident. Could this have damaged something that went unseen? Could it just be him getting older and trying to find himself? But then my wife brought up the idea of past lives, and that she had started reading stories about them, and she thinks it may be related to Cameron's experience. We started looking into it more, and we tried to be open-minded, so I think that we both agree without speaking too much about it, that this was likely the scenario, and we decided to live with this in mind going forward. Life went on as normal from then on. Slight changes in who he was, but we lived with it and called him Frankie at his request. We even told the rest of the family to do so, so that they didn't upset him. So, fast forward to 2021... We were all watching Unsolved Mysteries, and there was an episode about reincarnation, and Frankie lost it. He started talking about how that must be what happens to him, that he must have been reborn. My wife and I both just kind of went, wow, that's crazy and definitely possible, and tried to get on with our night. Again, he was still a kid and we didn't want to put that thought in his mind. He should be able to enjoy his life, and not have some kind of crisis that he died and was born again. Things have calmed down a bit since that happened. Again, we tried to make it as normal as we possibly could. My wife and I have flirted with the idea of looking into someone who matched what we know so far of this Frankie person but we don't even really know where to start. I just really hope it hasn't, and doesn't, impede on my son's life. I just want him to be happy with who he is, no matter who that happens to be. I have a creepy story from when I was a kid and still lived in the neighborhood that I grew up in. It was a pretty quiet neighborhood, and everything was pretty normal. We had several neighbors that were really polite and helpful, and I even remember that one of the older ladies across the street used to watch me after school until my dad got home from work. And I loved going over there because she was the sweetest person I had ever known. But... As with most neighborhoods, there was one guy that nobody really talked about or to, that just kind of minded his own business. 
In my neighborhood, his name was Pete. Pete was a really old guy that kept up with his house and yard, and talked to literally nobody. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, now that I'm an adult, I absolutely respect his decisions, almost to the point that I envy him. Nowadays, I wish people would leave me alone, but Pete was a bit weird in that he would make it a point to look unapproachable and angry at all times. If you waved, he would scowl at you. If you tried to say hi, he would scoff and ignore you. As such, I never really knew him or anything about him. So, imagine my surprise when, one night when I was 14, I looked outside and saw him literally standing in our yard and staring at my window. He wasn't necessarily at the window, he was just in the yard and staring at the window to my bedroom. Obviously, I thought this was creepy, but I wasn't exactly sure what to do or what to think about it beyond that. I just closed my blinds and decided that I would go back to sleep and tell my parents about it in the morning, which is what I did, and they told me that I was probably just seeing things. I was pretty certain that I wasn't, but in the end I was a kid and my parents told me to drop it, so I did. Then, it happened again. And again. It got to the point where I kind of expected it. It was annoying because I wasn't sleeping through the night, and every time I woke up, I would look outside and see Pete just standing in the yard staring at the house. It got to the point where I would see him outside during the day, and he would stare at me, and I would just stare at the ground as I walked past his house. Then, one night, I finally learned exactly why I kept waking up in the middle of the night. It was early summer, and I was out of school, so I decided I was going to stay up all night. I was doing a number of different things to keep my mind occupied. I was sitting on my floor, sketching something in my sketchbook, and I started hearing a tapping noise. At first, I wasn't sure where it was coming from, but then I realized that it was coming from my window. I got up and pulled my blinds open as quickly as I could. There, on the other side of my window, at face level with me, was Pete, and I'm pretty sure I scared him as much as he had been scaring me, because he jumped and then turned tail and ran. I'm pretty sure that I shouted something out the window at him, like, And don't you come back, you creep! Though I more than likely just mumbled something to myself because I was kind of freaking out. That was, thankfully, the last time that it happened, and the last time that I ever saw Pete. My guess is that he was probably not well mentally... There was probably something wrong with him, and he was doing things that weren't normal because of that. I don't want to speak ill of those with mental disorders, especially the ones caused by age or anything, but it was still terrifying to me as a teenage girl to have some random old man tapping on my window and waking me up each night, and then seeing him stare at me from the yard. I, again, told my parents, but they didn't seem like they cared too much. 
but I think that was just my parents, really. I'm grateful that he never escalated or tried anything beyond just being a creep, but I'm also glad that I never saw him ever again. Back when I was a teenager, my house was in a cul-de-sac that was backed up against a wooded area. It was one of those underdeveloped sections of a suburb, where there was like three houses in the cul-de-sac, but then an entire section that wasn't cut down or developed, and it was actually kind of neat. My friends and I would spend a lot of time out in the shallow parts of the woods, and would do things like pretend to be soldiers fighting a war against aliens or whatever. Obviously, we were always told by our parents that we shouldn't go deep into the woods because of wild animals, or whatever else they were scared of, but we would make it a point to test where we were and weren't supposed to go. None of our parents would enforce their rules or anything, so really, we just did whatever. There was one night that all four of us basically played a game of let's spend all night out in the woods by telling our parents that we were staying at each other's houses. I don't remember the full plan or how we did it, but we basically all spun a lie to our parents about where we were going, and we plotted out how we would spend the night out in the woods and make it home in the morning without any of them noticing. It was a dumb idea, but we were a bunch of young teen boys that thought we were the coolest and most invincible people in the world, as young boys do. We all met up in the spot that we had designated with our sleeping bags and backpacks, and once we were all certain that we'd done enough to make it work, we headed out into the woods. To be completely honest, we didn't come up with any plans beyond let's go out into the woods for the whole night, and I'm not sure what we were going to do after getting there. But I think it was the rush of doing something we shouldn't have that made it all worth it. Once in the woods, we chose a small spot that was mostly clear, and we set up what was, more or less, a campsite. Only we didn't have a fire or tents or anything like that. We did have sleeping bags, our backpacks, and a small lantern that one of the other boys had taken from his dad's garage. We were there for a little while, just chatting and being boys. I don't remember the full night and what we were doing, but it was a great time. Then, after what I would assume was a couple of hours, two of the other boys were talking about how tired they were getting, so we decided that we would go to sleep. The other three fell asleep pretty quickly, but I was just lying there and feeling like something was off. I was feeling like something was out there in the woods with us, but I honestly had no idea what it was, mostly because if there was anything, I couldn't see it. I sat up and looked around the entire area to see if there was anything there, but it was empty. I tried to shrug it off and go to sleep, but I was still struggling. After a little bit, I felt like I needed to pee, so I got up and walked over to a tree and did my business. At that point, I swear that I heard a voice whisper in my ears. I heard something whispering, 
Hello, Daniel. Which seriously freaked me out for multiple reasons. The first of which was that the voice that I heard was my mother's. I heard it clear as day, and I know for a fact that I heard my mother whispering hello and my name. Nobody but my mother calls me Daniel, and she only called me that when I was in trouble. I spun around half expecting to see my mother there standing over my shoulder, but thankfully she wasn't there. This scared the hell out of me, to the point that I ran back to our camp and just lied there staring at the trees above me. I didn't sleep at all that night, and I made it a point to not go back into the woods after dark. The next day, whenever I went home, my mom asked how the sleepover was, and I told her that it went great. Part of me was half expecting her to tell me that she was out in the woods and knew that we were out there, but she obviously didn't, which just confirmed the whole it-wasn't-really-her thing. It was honestly the creepiest thing that has ever happened to me, mostly because I have no idea what it actually was. And I think it's that unexplained aspect that makes it so damn scary. I have a weird story from when I was a little kid, probably somewhere around eight years old. The town I lived in wasn't one that had a lot of crime or creepy things that happened, but there was always one place that seemed to always attract the only weirdos in town, and that was the local Walmart. Now, I'm not going to talk trash about Walmart, there's enough other people that do that already, and I do shop there pretty frequently, but I am going to say that for some weird reason, Walmart always attracts people that are out there. This happened on a late night trip to Walmart to get a few things. I honestly don't even remember what we needed to get. I just remember it being super late, and my mom told me that we needed to go. I got my tired back end into the car and we headed out. We got there, and things went about as normal as they could. She took way too long to find what she needed and I spent way too much time browsing at things that we weren't there for. It was just how she was, honestly, and I was just there for the ride, and because there was no one else to watch me, obviously. At one point, my mom needed to use the restroom, so we walked to the back where the shoe section was, and she told me to stay with the cart. No eight-year-old boy wants to go into a public restroom with his mother, so I did what she asked, and stood outside the room with the cart. While I was standing there, I noticed a woman looking at the shoes, and looking like she was trying to figure out what to buy. Nothing out of the ordinary, really, but when she stood up from the lower shelf and started to walk away, I noticed that her wallet had fallen out of her purse, and she didn't seem to notice, because she was walking further down the aisle. At that point... I kind of just went into I-need-to-be-a-helpful-person mode, and I ran over to grab the wallet and shouted for her. As soon as I said, Ma'am, you dropped your wallet. She turned around and walked over with what I thought was a happy look. I handed her her wallet, 
and she just kind of stared at me with a smile that was sort of creepy. After a moment of awkward silence, she said, oh, Thank you, young man. I appreciate that. And then leaned down and gave me a hug. Again, I was eight, so I just kind of accepted it and thought that she was really nice and friendly. But then, after a few moments, the hug kind of got to be a bit much, and I started feeling awkward. Like she was hugging me for way too long kind of awkward. After a few more moments passed and she finally let go, she then reached down to grab my hand and said, That was so nice of you to help me like that. Why don't you come with me and I'll get you something nice for your troubles? Now, being a kid, I was interested in what this nice thing was going to be. But I had also been taught about stranger danger. Of course, there were some conflicting thoughts in this situation, because this was just a nice lady about the age of my mother, and she was just being polite, right? There was no way that she was some kind of creepy person that was going to hurt or kidnap me. Thankfully, my mom came out of the bathroom at the right moment in time to see this lady holding my hand and start pulling me away. She confronted her basically yelling and asking what the hell she was doing. It actually didn't end in just a few words being shouted between my mom and this woman. This woman started screaming back about how my mother was irresponsible and how she didn't deserve me as a child. She then reaches into her bag and pulls out what I now know to be a container of pepper spray and blasts my mom in the face with it. At this point, there's a small crowd of other people starting to surround us, and a few employees had run over to see what was going on. By the time the crowd had formed and people were trying to figure out what was happening, the woman had already started running. One of the employees tried to stop her, but they showed up too late, and they didn't see where she had gone. They ended up calling an ambulance for my mom because they didn't know what to do about the pepper spray, and they insisted that they needed to get a medic there just in case she was injured. My mom ended up being fine, obviously, and the medics got her cleaned up and left. Unfortunately, no one ever found that woman, and all they could do was offer the camera footage to the police. That was obviously the most exciting trip to Walmart we had ever gone on, and it's not something that we really even talk about to this day. I'm a 27-year-old guy, and I live in an apartment by myself. I'm also a bit of a workaholic, so I do spend a lot of time at my desk until something like 3 in the morning, and then I go to sleep and start the whole process over at 9. Fortunately, or unfortunately I guess, I work from home so I can pretty much spend every waking hour working. Yeah, I know, I'm wasting my youth, but that's all beside the point. As I mentioned... I'm usually up until close to 3 or 4 in the morning, and I live alone. I do sometimes get a bit jumpy whenever I'm tired, but for the most part, I manage. The creepy thing that this story is about, though, happened somewhere close to a month ago. 
I was up late at night working on spreadsheets for the month so that I could give them to upper management, when I thought I heard a knock on my front door. At first, I was sure that I was just hearing things, but then I heard the knocking again. I looked at my clock, and I was certain that I was losing it. It was three-something in the morning. Who the hell was at my door? I got up and went over to answer it, and I looked out the peephole, and there was a woman standing there. She looked like she was dressed somewhat professionally. She was wearing a nice shirt and a skirt, and from what I could see of her demeanor, she wasn't acting like she was on something or like she had something wrong with her. So, I went ahead and opened the door and asked her how I could help her. She immediately goes into the spiel about how her name is Michelle Sanders and that she was an officer with the CIA. She tells me that she's on a special assignment and that she's looking for a man named Douglas something or other. She then asks me what my name is. I tell her and then reiterate that I am not the person that she's looking for. She looks at me for several moments and then asks to see my ID so that she could verify that I was, in fact, not Douglas. I have to admit that it was stupid of me, but I agreed. I step back into my apartment to grab my wallet and get my license. As soon as I stepped back, she pushed her way into the entryway. I will say again that it was half past three in the morning, so my brain wasn't firing on all cylinders. So while this was weird, I also really wasn't sure what I should do about it. I grabbed my license and I handed it to her, and as she was looking it over, I asked her what her name was again. She repeated that she was Michelle Sanders with the CIA. It was at that point that I realized that she hadn't shown me any identification, so I asked to see her badge. She looked at me, looked back at the license, and then handed the license back to me, saying, That won't be necessary. She then walked into my living room and through the hallway, pushing each door open and glancing into each and every room one by one. Again, I just stood there a bit dumbfounded at the fact that this woman was walking through my apartment, glancing into each of my rooms and just ignoring me. After about 10 minutes of this, my brain finally started working, and it occurred to me that this was not normal. I pretty much said that. I told her that it was weird to me that she had entered my home and hadn't shown me a warrant or anything, and then mentioned that she should probably leave. She stared at me for a moment, nodded her head, and then walked toward the door. She pushed it open, looking at me as she went to leave, and said, Thank you for your time, sir. You will not hear from us again. And then she left. She just literally walked out the door and down the hall and outside. I have no idea what the hell any of this was about, and I honestly don't know if she was legitimate or not, though I would guess that she wasn't. She certainly looked and spoke the part, but... Nothing about this was sensible. I don't think that the CIA would send a single agent to someone's home like that, and I don't think that they just peacefully enter and look through rooms. 
Plus, I wouldn't think that they would frequently get the wrong address for someone they were looking for. I mean, they're the CIA, not the local PD. So, that's my weird story. Some random professional-looking woman came into my apartment at three-something in the morning, claimed that she was with the CIA, and then snooped through my apartment a bit before just leaving. It was seriously weird. Nothing ever came of it, no one ever followed through, never came back, or anything like that. I would guess that she was looking for someone, sure, but I don't think that she worked for any government agencies. I guess that I'm just kind of thankful that I wasn't the person that she was looking for. Hey, so... I guess it's time for me to share my story, too. I don't know much about aboriginal folktales or anything like that. I can't really even say that I know a lot about the Australian cryptids or things. It is something I would like to get to know more of, and I think there is something like the Yowie and the Bunyip. I don't know. Anyways, this was in the early 2000s, so social media wasn't like how it is now. It was still very much in its early stages. People spent more times on forums rather than MySpace or Facebook. I liked to browse and find interesting and free places to go. One post mentioned a small, abandoned ghost town, where there had been actual sightings of ghosts and other strange things happening. At the time, I thought that maybe people wanted to see ghosts so much that they just ended up seeing them. A small group of friends and I decided to go out into one of the country areas to celebrate Halloween. We were at that age where we couldn't all get into any of the clubs, and we were too old to do any trick-or-treating. None of us had the funds to have a decent house party either, and none of our parents would have agreed to it, so we all decided to give this a try. Fortunately for us, Halloween fell on a weekend, so... We didn't need to worry about school. Not that it was a priority for any of us at the time. It wouldn't have been the first time that we skipped school for one reason or another. So this is what we decided was best to do. We got some grog, or alcoholic drinks, some snacks, and some other things. You know, more naughty things if you get the drift. We drove out into the middle of nowhere you know, where the skies are clear from the smog of the city and we wouldn't bother anybody. You know when people say that the veal between the living and the dead is weaker on Halloween? Well, I think that's true. We found an abandoned town. It was so far gone that the roofs were no longer on the buildings and only had the exposed brick. What we didn't realize at first was that we were near an old graveyard. We played some music got the drinks out, and started having a good time. We were drunkenly singing along with the music, eating, and we just didn't have a single care in the world. It was an amazing night. As the night drew on, we started talking about ghost stories in order to fit the theme of the night. One of my mates started telling us some stupid story that I'm pretty sure was quoted from some awful horror movie, hoping to pass it off as his own. We laughed, 
and one of my friends, one of the ones who wanted more scary things to happen, wanted for all of us to use an Ouija board. All of us instantly said no to that. The same friend who said his stupid story started going on about a BS Ouija story, one that was about him and his other group of friends. He's always kind of questionable when it comes to integrity. As the night went on, though, both his jokes and stories began to get a lot better to listen to. It got really chilly, though, and I wrapped a picnic blanket around my shoulders. We all complained about the cold, and little things started to happen. We felt like we were being watched. You know that feeling when you can sense eyes on you? We had that. We could have sworn we heard the faint sounds of children whispering and laughing around us. Whenever we turned to look, it would be quiet again. Now, we weren't exactly clear-minded, if you know what I mean. I don't want to incriminate myself with that, but you get my drift. You know that feeling you get when you shouldn't be somewhere, and if you stay, you're going to get into trouble? I was starting to get that. The radio started to get a lot of static, something that hadn't been an issue before, and I was wondering what the hell it could have been. You know how you never notice noise until everything suddenly goes quiet? All the crickets and other insects went dead quiet out of the blue. We then started talking about how it was best for us to sober up and probably leave. I had a mate tell me after that 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 was what happens when there's a predator or something dangerous around. None of us wanted to mess around and find out to see what it was. We started to pack up the car with all the stuff that we brought with us, and we put out the fire, making sure to put it out completely. We didn't want to be the cause of any brush fires. We all sat awkwardly in the car while my mate who was driving was sobering up, drinking coffee and whatever. To be fair, I don't think he was under the limit yet, but we figured we would try our luck anyway. As he was about to drive off, we started hearing that laughing and talking again. That was enough for us. We were out of there. He began to speed up down the deserted road. I decided to look back through the rearview window at the place that we had been, and I swear I saw what looked like a group of shadow figures watching us. Even a flickering light there, too. I don't ever want to go back to that place again. So, yeah, be careful what you do on Halloween. I didn't used to believe in spirits or ghosts before, but this experience has turned me into a believer. I don't want to think about what would have happened to us out there if we had stayed. My Halloweens are quiet nowadays, and I hope to keep it that way. When I was a kid, I used to go trick-or-treating with my friends. I live in Australia, so keep in mind that Halloween isn't as popular here as it is in the U.S. A lot of people tend to think that it's an American tradition. It has begun to grow in popularity, though, and more people do take part in it every year. It's something that I'm going to take my kids to do, provided things go well, and I do live in a safe area. People also sometimes dress up at work, or there are Halloween parties. 
This was in the late 90s, so keep that in mind that things were different back then. My friends and I were 15, and none of us had really been trick-or-treating before. I had a younger brother who I took out trick-or-treating, and managed to get some of his candy out of it too. My friends and I dropped him off at home and told my parents that we were going to be out for a while longer. It was the weekend, so none of us had to be home to go to bed for school or anything. There were three boys and three girls along with myself, so seven in total. A couple of people commented on our lack of effort, and, well, they weren't wrong. We were also told that we were a bit old to be trick-or-treating, and, yeah, we were. As for our costumes, we didn't bother to dress up, and we wore our usual street clothes. We were pretty lazy about it. All we wanted was some free candy, and maybe we could get a can of drink or something. The area that we lived in was pretty safe. Mostly families, but it was in a low-income area, so the type of kids here tended to vary a lot. It wasn't uncommon for kids to be out playing late in the afternoon, or staying out until the streetlights came on. So, around 6 or 7 p.m. We generally had a good idea about the types of people who lived around here, and adjusted our behavior accordingly depending on who was around. We walked and knocked on several doors along the stop. Quite a few people told us that they weren't interested, and some just blatantly told us to screw off. We weren't surprised and joked about how we would come back later to egg their house. We were absolutely full of it because we weren't going to. We were laughing and carrying on like idiots while we walked, and walked toward the dimly lit house at the end of the street. Usually, when people didn't leave their lights on, it was a sign that they weren't interested and to just leave them alone. We were being little a-holes, though, so I guess you could say that we did invite this to happen to us. We ran up to the door, knocked loudly, and giggled. We could hear the faint sound of the TV in a nearby room. I can't remember what was on the TV at the time, though. There were no signs that this person was going to get up to open the door. No footsteps or sound of keys. And we knocked again, even louder this time, and a man came to the door. He opened it roughly and stared down at us with an exhausted and angry expression. When he opened the door, I smelled the aroma of garbage, and I think that he may have been a hoarder too. He looked rough as guts. He smelled like he hadn't showered for a long time. His beard was messy and had food scraps in it. His pajamas were stained and smelled disgusting. There were dark circles under his eyes, and looking back, he looked like he was going through a pretty rough time. I regretted knocking on the door and stepped backwards. I think I murmured an apology or something. Before he had the chance to ask us what we wanted or what we were doing, my friends were being jerks and called out aloud, a trick or treat, at him while holding up their plastic bags open in hopes of treats being put inside. The man blinked to himself and murmured that Halloween was an American tradition and that he didn't celebrate it, that he wanted us to leave him alone, and that he didn't have anything he could give us anyways. 
it was difficult to understand what he had been saying because he was mumbling under his breath. He tried to close the door, but one of my friends kicked at it and threatened to egg his house if he didn't give us anything. Sure, we were kids, but I have to admit that I was pretty shocked to hear my friend behave like this. We could be pretty obnoxious at times, but that was something else. I can't remember if I told them to stop or not. I was so surprised by what happened. My friend must have pushed the man too far, because the man reached for a baseball bat he had by the side of the door and swung it at our friends. He screamed at us, telling us that he was going to mess us all up and not to come near his house ever again, or we would get what was coming to us. We all screamed and began to run away as fast as we could to escape him. Yeah, we were cowards, and we wasted no time in running away as fast as possible. For someone who looked the way he did, he could move really fast. I looked back now and then, and when we went around the block he must have stopped, and we all caught our breaths at one of the local parks. We were breathing and started laughing. I don't think we ever tried to go trick-or-treating after that. I'm a parent myself now, and you can bet that I make sure my children are always incredibly respectful when we go trick-or-treating these days. This happened a few years ago, but... It's one of those events that has stuck with me and will probably always have a place in my memory because of how weird it was. I've always been one that liked to go hiking and camping, and I spent a lot of time out in the woods when I was a kid, and that's all kind of bled over into my adult years. When I was 19, I went camping with a decent group of my friends. There were about 10 of us total, It's not important to know everyone that was there because most of them were couples that stuck to their tents in the group, but it was important to know myself, M, and K were all best friends and were on the trip together. We were actually sharing a tent with the three of us, if that tells you anything. It was starting to get late, and we had a fire going for the group, and one of the couples mentioned that they had marshmallows and they wanted good pointed sticks for roasting them over the fire. Another one mentioned that we also needed a bit more wood for the fire, which was pretty much just brush that we had found around the area. I said that we would go look for some wood so that the couples didn't have to leave their spots, mostly because I didn't want to hear anyone complaining, and I knew that M and K would be willing to go out into the woods with me. So, we got up and started out into the trees to find some suitable burning materials first, and then find some good roasting sticks. We were walking through the woods and found some decent brush, but after getting what we needed, we started heading back towards the camp, and after a few minutes, it seemed like we weren't making any progress. I was certain that we were heading in the right direction, but... For whatever reason, it seemed like we were only going deeper into the woods. M was a bit panicky, saying that we were definitely lost, but I was telling her that there was no way we could have gotten lost so close to where we started. 
I stood there for a moment, and I looked around, trying to regain my bearings in the direction that we had gone and where we had come from. And I was absolutely certain that the group should have been right by where we were. I asked Kay what she thought, and she said that we had definitely walked in the right direction, and she confirmed what I was already thinking. I asked M to grab her cell phone and see if she could get a hold of one of the other people in the group, and see if they could yell for us since we had to be somewhere nearby. She then mentioned that she didn't have her phone on her, and that she had left it in the tent. I asked Kay if she had hers, and she said no. I rolled my eyes annoyed, and basically shoved the bundle of sticks that I was holding at M so I could get my cell phone out of my pocket. Much to my frustration, my phone was showing that I had no service whatsoever. I kept trying to hit the call button to get a hold of any of our friends, and it kept canceling the call due to being outside of the service area. I then tried to pull up maps, thinking that maybe I could get data instead of call service, but no luck. At this point, I basically said that we should just keep going to try to yell and see if any of our friends replied. We shouted a few times, but there was no response. After walking for a few moments, again in the direction that we assumed was the camp, we saw what looked like a shed in the middle of the trees. I thought it was weird, but I also figured that we may have ended up on someone's property, though it was a bit strange that it was just out in the middle of the trees, and that there were no other buildings anywhere near the little shed. I walked up to it to look into the windows and see if there was anything that could help us, or something like that, I guess, but it was mostly empty. I could see that there were some tools on the wall, like an axe, a shovel, and all that, but there was also a small pile of clothing that was folded nicely on what looked like a small dresser. That was literally all there was in the shed, just the tools, the dresser, and the clothing, which was a bit freaky. Was someone living out here or something? I decided that we should keep moving since, if someone was living here, they might come back. And I didn't want to deal with some random person living in a shed in the middle of the woods. We kept walking for what felt like forever, almost like we had been going for a few hours, but then I heard what sounded like one of our friends shouting M's name. I shouted back and asked if they were nearby, and they responded. The three of us pretty much ran to where their voice was coming from, and after a few minutes, we could see the light of the fire as well as our group of tents. It was a major relief to see them, but what was really weird was the fact that we had somehow ended up approaching the camp from the opposite side of where we left. When we got back to the camp, the one friend that was yelling mentioned that we had been gone for something like 15 minutes, though to us, it felt like a lot more time than that. We then mentioned that we had to have been gone for a lot longer, but everyone confirmed that it was 15 minutes. I mentioned that there was a shed, but I don't think any of them believed us, and we never found where it was again. It was just really weird to me that we were headed to the camp and somehow got lost. 
there's no way that we were headed in the wrong direction, nor had we gone too deep into the woods. I guess my question is, did we end up finding some strange pocket dimension in the woods that we shouldn't have found? Was this some kind of place outside of time or something? I have no idea, but it was seriously freaky, if nothing else. Okay, so I've been going trick-or-treating since I was a little kid. It's something I love doing, and it is one of my happiest childhood memories. I lived in one of the few suburbs in my country that really got into Halloween and trick-or-treating, so I was really lucky to be able to go when I was young without being told people weren't interested. I still go, but technically I'm taking my younger siblings out, and I keep an eye on them to make sure they don't get into trouble. My parents don't like the idea of kids being constantly watched or overprotected, and wanted us to grow up without needing constant supervision. That being said, they didn't really want my younger siblings to be unsupervised. I was about 17 or 18 at the time when this happened. Anyway, about Halloween, I guess you could say that I'm a big kid at heart. I took my two siblings, Jake, who was eight, and Nala, who was six, out trick-or-treating. I was also roped into taking Nala's best friend, Stacy, and Jake's best friend, Thomas. I didn't mind, though. I've known the kids since they were really young, and it would give me some time with my girlfriend, Sarah. I didn't bother to dress up, but Sarah brought some fake fangs in order to be a vampire. She and I held hands and talked while the kids would run in front, but we told them to always stay in view. They did. Mostly. There were plenty of other kids and families around walking and getting lollies, and most people were dressed up. We took them from house to house, their bags began to fill up, and... Every so often, they would run back to show us what they got. We got dibs on some tasty lollies, and overall it was a nice night. No rain or anything that would ruin it. My parents told me not to keep them out too late because they needed to make sure they would be ready to go to bed. Tomorrow was a school night, so she understandably didn't want them to be too tired. A lot of people were making little goodie bags filled with candy and extras to give to the kids, mainly to stop one greedy little kid from taking a massive handful and not leaving any for anyone else. It was what my parents did too. I only mention this because it is relevant for later on. The streetlights were on, and it was darker than I wanted it to be. I herded up the kids and began to walk home. My girlfriend and I listened as my siblings both excitedly told me about how much they got, what compliments they received, and what other awesome costumes they saw. They were already talking about what they wanted to wear next year. By this point, I'd already began to mentally drown out their conversation. It was pretty cute, but I dropped my girlfriend off and the other kids off at their home and we stayed a bit for a chat with her parents and then walked my siblings home. I stayed out too late and got a text message telling me to come back. 
my parents weren't very happy with me, and they told me to bring them home now. I guess you could say that I lost track of time. My younger siblings and I began to walk quickly back home. I jokingly said it was time for them to pay up and reached into their bags to take some of the candy. The price of taking them out, I guess. I reached in and opened their bags to their half-arsed whining. I pulled out one of the small goodie bags and opened it up. Expecting to see something tasty, I was confused by what I saw there. It was just empty wrappers. Okay, kinda mean, but a trick, so pretty harmless. My siblings ran in the house screaming happily about what they received while I stopped on the front step. I tipped out the containers of the bag, and I saw a rusty razor blade. I held it in my hand for a few moments. There was also a rock, a piece of dried broccoli or something. I didn't care about the random extras. Without the rusty razor blade, it almost would have been kind of funny. But... A rusty razor blade? I was completely taken by surprise by this. I very well could have cut my hand when I reached in, and I figured that that was their plan, too. I could have needed a tetanus shot if it hurt me. I've heard rumors about old wives' tales of people trying to pamper with lollies, but I never believed it. I asked my brother which house this one came from, and he couldn't remember. I asked my sister, and she couldn't remember either. I told my mom about it, and she called her friends to warn them. Soon, it passed around the grapevine to check all the bags. A few other kids had rusty razor blades in their goodie bags as well, along with other unwanted items. Fortunately, it wasn't anything more dangerous than that. None of the kids could remember which house they went to, there were so many, and do keep in mind that these were all our neighbors, and people we've known for a long time. No one really would have ever expected this to happen. Our local suburb went from being a place where kids felt safe, to where parents ended up being more careful, and even kind of suspicious of each other. I'd heard about the rumors of razor blades and candy in the US, but I didn't think it would happen over here in my country. From what I know, it never happened again afterwards, so it was a one-off incident, but the damage was done. My siblings grew out of trick-or-treating and didn't want to go anymore. I haven't heard of any tricks in the bag in the years that followed, and I like to think it was just some edgy teenager who wanted to cause issues, but you never know. I kind of worry sometimes that it was some suburban Karen who finally lost it, and wanted to lash out at kids. Who knows? Maybe she, or whoever it was, will start up again someday. My mother has always been such a giving person. My parents tried to have kids, and after years of no luck... They went to the doctor to learn that due to cysts, she would probably never conceive. So, instead, they adopted me at the age of two and fostered many children in between. This also led my mother to start her own daycare so she could be helpful to others in need, 
as well as be around as many children as she wanted. She was always so kind and supportive to everyone, and all the kids that we watched. It was no wonder that everyone liked her. She ran the daycare out of our home for most of the time that I lived there too, which meant that I helped a lot, but I didn't mind. It was like having little brothers and sisters any time to play with. My dad even built another large room to the back of our house as the main play area for the daycare. He even built a new door to the backyard with a covered porch that led to the yard with all the outdoor toys and games. The daycare was doing great, and since I grew up around so many kids, I found no reason to stop helping out. And, in fact, I started officially working there with my mom. That's where the story took place. At this point, I was 23, and had been working there full-time for a few years now, while I went to school for children's psychology. I ran errands for my mom, like picking up groceries and I helped with scheduling and making meals and snacks for the kids. We also planned special activities for the kids at least once a week. It was close to Mother's Day, so we had picked up some extra supplies for the kids to make gifts for their moms. We had materials to make cards, treat bags, and even paper flower bouquets. I loved walking around and helping them out, so we got them all in spots with, like, four or five kids at each table, to split them up a bit. Now for the kids. We had about 16 kids there that day, because I remember one table empty, so we just put all the supplies on it. We had quite a few regulars, but would have newcomers join every so often too, which is when I met Blake. Blake was about seven, I believe. He could fully talk and hold a normal conversation with you, He loved sharks, and he could tell you just about anything about any shark that you named. I will add, though, that he had a cochlear implant in his left ear, as it will be relevant later. But you would never expect that he had hearing difficulties, as this boy could hear me from across the loud room. Blake had been coming to our daycare for about a month or so, so I was still trying to get to know him at the time. I sat at the table he was at, and I asked him and the other kids what they wanted to make, and they all wanted to start with a card. I laid out the markers, glue, stickers, and scissors, and I let them get started, and as I asked them about themselves and things their mom liked to help give ideas on what to make. Blake said that his mom loved tulips, but he didn't know how to draw them, so I showed him an easy way to do it. He said that he wanted to buy real tulips for her, because she was the best mom that he'd ever had. At the time, it sounded like a weird statement, but there could have been many reasons for having multiple mothers, right? So I didn't dwell on it. Then, one of the kids wanted to cut their card out in the shape of a heart, so I agreed and passed her the scissors. I noticed Blake staring at one of the other kids using the scissors, So I asked him if he wanted to cut out his card too, and he said yes. So, once the other one was done, I went to hand him the scissors, and he reluctantly grabbed them and just stared at them. I started to ask what was wrong, when he dropped them on the table in front of me and asked me to do it. 
I tried reassuring him that he could do it because they were safety scissors and he was given permission to use them because an adult was around. But I thanked him for being considerate or safe. He seemed a bit uncomfortable with the scissors near him, kind of like a kid would act when they saw an animal or something they were afraid of. So I asked him if there was something wrong and he explained further. He said he didn't like scissors because that was how he lost his ear. I was confused at first because, of course, he had both ears, but I knew about his implant. So, really, he just lost his hearing or never had it. So, I tried explaining to him that he had both of his ears, and he was referring to not being able to hear out of it. He confirmed this by nodding, and continued to tell me something a bit more disturbing. I may not remember the exact phrasing, but this is what he told me. In my old life, I hurt a lot of girls. I made them cry and I made them bleed, but one girl got away because I didn't tie the string right. I'm not good at tying my shoes either. I tried to catch her, and she grabbed some scissors and pushed them into my ear. It hurt really bad and it made me bleed, and I couldn't hear anymore. Then she put the scissors in my heart and I died. So, I just sat there in shock of what I had just heard, and he must have seen the terror on my face because he followed that up with something like, But it's okay. I don't want to hurt anyone now. I talked to God and he gave me another chance. But I lost my ear for good because of how bad I was. I'm a lot nicer now. And then he continued to stare at me and wait for me to cut out his card. After I looked at the other kids and noticed that they had paid no attention to his story and were still focused on their own projects, I just shook it off and cut it out. I watched him from there as he carefully picked the colors for his card and talked about his mom. He was his normal self. He never brought that up again or anything related to it. I had never heard him talk about anything so gruesome, so it really caught me off guard. Later on that day, I had a moment and I talked to my mom about it. She thought it was pretty alarming too, so she agreed to ask Blake's parents about it, thinking maybe he watched or saw something that he shouldn't have. They said they had never heard anything like that, and they also don't allow him to watch anything violent, so they had no clue where he could have gotten it from. They were surprised by what he said because... They had never said anything to him, but did admit that when speaking about his implant before, he would claim that they were wrong as to why he had to wear it, but never clarified or explained anything further. I don't know why I was the chosen one to hear that story, but it was truly creepy, hearing it from a little kid like Blake. I've been trying to find some kind of story on a kidnapper or killer that was stabbed in the ear, but no luck yet. At the same time, I'm kind of scared to find something. Also, he's never mentioned anything since that day about his past life, and I'm not sure if I want him to or not. I have a short but honestly terrifying story that happened to me about 15 years ago on Halloween night. For some background, 
I live in a fairly decent little town outside of a major city. It's more of a growing suburb than anything, and it's mostly pretty quiet. At the time of this story, I was 28 and my son was just turning 8, so he was at that age where he still needed my help with a lot of things in life, but he was also wanting to be more independent. So, I was doing my best not to smother him, but I was also still doing what I could to make sure he was going down the right path and didn't need help. I raised him by myself, without his father, so... It was tough, but it's just part of being a parent. On this particular Halloween, he wanted to go trick-or-treating, and I, of course, was going to go with him. But he also didn't want me hovering over him. He was, in his words, big enough to go to the door alone and knock. It was also rather cold and wet that year, so he and I made a compromise. I would drive the car to each road and direct him which houses to go to, and I would watch him from the car and he would get to do it all by himself unless he physically needed help. I would drive him to each street, and we would do this until it got too late or he started getting tired. For most of the night, things went smoothly. He was pretty happy to be walking between the houses on his own, I was happy that I was able to watch him and not upset him. He would go to the houses, do his trick-or-treating, and they would ask where his parents were, and he would tell him that his mom was watching from the car because he didn't need help. Most of the older people would just laugh at these comments, and some of the younger ones, I think, had an issue with it, but we were both happy, so whatever. Every time he would get into the car, he would show me his bag and what they gave him, and he would tell me that he was having a lot of fun, so it was a great night. However, on one street, things went from really fun to actually quite horrifying. We had pulled up on the street, and everything looked normal. A few of the houses were dark, and there weren't many trick-or-treaters, but I figured that was more because of the time than anything. It was getting late. There were a few houses with their lights on, so I told him to go to the three houses and come back to the car, and then said we would make a game plan from there. He said okay, hopped out of the car, and started to the first house. As soon as I saw him finish up at the first house and then make his way to the second, I felt something cold hit the side of my head. I started to look over toward whatever it was, but it clicked pretty fast. There was a guy dressed in all black holding a gun to the side of my head, and he very forcefully told me to get out of the car and to not make a scene. I was obviously panicking. My son was at one of these houses, and he was going to come back to the car at any point, so I wasn't going to do anything to make this guy pull the trigger. I told him okay, and that I would do what he was asking, and I opened the door and stepped out. As soon as my feet hit the pavement, he shoved me off to the side and jumped into the car, and then took off down the road going way too fast. Thankfully, there weren't many people on this road at the time because with how fast he was going, he wouldn't have been able to stop if a child had walked out into the road. 
I stood up, still freaking out, and I immediately ran over to the house that my son was at. He was still getting candy from them when I walked up, and the old man at the door looked up and smiled, asking if I was his mother. I said that I was, and I think that he realized something was wrong right away based on my tone. I started to tell him what had just happened, and as soon as I said it, I just started bawling. He told me to come inside, so the two of us stepped in, and he said that he would call the police. His wife came over and asked what happened, and he told her, and... Honestly, the whole thing was just such a terrifying and embarrassing mess. Here I was with my eight-year-old son in some random old couple's house crying my eyes out because some rando had just carjacked me. Of course, my brain was sifting through those anxious thoughts about how it could have gone if my son was in the car at the time, how it would have traumatized him, all that. They called the cops, and the old lady got some water for myself and my son, and we sat there while she held a pretty nice conversation with him. She actually gave him the rest of their candy, and they shut off their porch lights, and then she showed him how to crochet, or knit, I don't really remember. He was entertained, and thankfully didn't really understand the whole situation beyond something bad had happened. When the cops got there, I gave them all the information that I had on the guy. I didn't really see his face, but I saw the logo on his jacket and shoes, and I gave them all the information on my car. After they left, the old man said that he would take the two of us home. Thankfully, I had a spare key hidden in the front yard so I could at least get back into the house. The whole time, I was apologizing to the man for the inconvenience, and he just told me that he was happy to help and sorry that the whole thing happened. After we got home, my son wanted to stay up and watch scary movies, and as much as I wanted to tell him no because it was late, I just said screw it and let him enjoy the night. I ended up falling asleep on the couch while he was watching some creepy movie, and the next morning when I woke up, he was passed out on the floor with candy wrappers everywhere. I ended up calling him out of school the next day, and I called out of work so that we could just hang out together at the house, since I knew he wasn't going to be up to go to school and I wasn't really in the right mindset to go to work. To wrap this up, they did actually find my car after a few days, but they never found the guy. The car was abandoned on the side of the highway after he had blown a tire, and one of the wheels was pretty messed up, but thankfully, there wasn't any damage that couldn't be repaired. It was expensive, sure, but thankfully my parents were able and willing to help me. I can't imagine how stressful it would have been if they couldn't have. When he got a bit older, I did finally explain to him what actually happened, mostly because I've always tried to be open with him. He said he didn't really remember that night, so at least I know he wasn't traumatized by the whole thing. For me, however, that was the most terrifying Halloween I had ever had. And... It's probably the scariest thing to happen to me personally. We did go trick-or-treating for a couple of years after that, but we just stuck to our block. 
So, to everyone out there, stay diligent, and make sure that you don't let anyone sneak up on you like I did. Halloween is supposed to be a fun night, so make sure you're staying safe out there so that everybody can enjoy the holiday's festivities. Back in high school, I was invited to a friend's Halloween party. It was actually being hosted by this girl, Iris, who had practically grown up with us, so we had always been really close. She had also recently broken up with her boyfriend, Blaine, so I was hoping to be there for support and to make sure that she had a good time, keeping her mind preoccupied. Now, this dude was a real jerk. He was very possessive and controlling, so I was glad that she ditched him. He didn't like her hanging out with several of her friends, including me or other guys. He was the jealous type, or maybe he was just projecting because he did cheat on her. He obviously was not invited to the party, and her parents even said that to not only her, but me. While her mom explicitly told me that if he did show up, to call them immediately. So, yes... This wasn't some secret party or anything. Her parents allowed it. As they were going to go out that night, literally leaving the house to us. The party was going to actually be in the garage, though. It was one of those two-car garages, and there was only going to be about a dozen kids max, so there was plenty of room. This way, we also weren't in the way or a bother to them if they came home early. They bought some decorations, snack foods, candy, and drinks for us. Her dad even got an old stereo and TV from some thrift store and set it up in there to have music or watch movies. The day of Halloween and the party was going to be that Saturday, so I went over there after school on Friday to help her decorate and to organize the place. Going to the day of the party now... I dressed up in something simple yet creepy. I had a black suit and tie, and I found a plain white head and face cover with small mesh spots for the eyes and mouth. I was abnormally tall for my age, so I was going as Slenderman. It was pretty good, even if it was a lazy attempt, I suppose. I was just excited for the party and to have fun with my friends. I entered through the side door as the garage door itself was covered in decorations. We also didn't want to have to open the whole thing each time someone came or went. Iris and two other girls were already there and chatting, so I went over and talked with them. I helped her bring out the last few food items, and as more people arrived, her parents came in to check on us and let us know that they were leaving, so we were all left to ourselves. The last few people showed up, so we turned up the music and just talked, laughed, and ate for about an hour or so. A song came on the radio, so a couple of the girls, Iris included, started doing some dumb dance to it while the rest of us watched. Once it was over, I went to approach Iris, and I noticed that her face turned sour. She seemed to be looking past me, so I turned around to look and saw none other than Blaine 
grabbing a handful of pretzels. He'd been dressed up as Ghostface, so no one noticed that it was him. Granted, we were kind of dumb, I guess, to not double-check faces, but there was really only a small group of people that were going to be there. And, since he wasn't exactly invited, and everyone that was there knew that, we didn't expect him to show up under a mask to try to get in. I told her that I would tell him to leave, but she declined, saying that she would take care of it. If I had known what I knew about him now, I would not have led her. She approached him, and I heard her saying something about him not being invited. The other guests noticed too, so we were trying to give them privacy, but we also couldn't look away. I got into a small conversation with one of the other guys there, but it wasn't long after that that I heard Blaine's outburst. He shouted something like, You didn't even give me a chance to explain! Iris was shouting back, so I decided to step in, not only for safety, but at the request of her parents. I told him he was not allowed to be there, and that he needed to leave when he backed up and started making comments about Iris and I. He said he was going to call the cops on us for having an illegal party, which made Iris laugh. She said that her parents set this all up, and she encouraged him to call the cops as he would be the one arrested. This seemed to anger him more, so he pulled out what we thought was a fake knife for his costume, but quickly realized that was not the case. He made some loud, threatening comments, causing everyone to stop and watch at this point. I held my hands up and tried to calm him down as I slowly stepped in front of Iris. Unfortunately, he noticed my maneuver, and he immediately shoved me to the side, cutting me in the shoulder, and he went straight for Iris. She tried running back to get to the door, but he grabbed her by the arm and was waving the knife in her face. I don't know what came over me. Maybe it was just the dumb teenage adrenaline, but I kicked him in the back of the knee, and he dropped like a bag of bricks. I felt bad since he did have a knife and was in Iris's face, but thankfully, he dropped the knife as he fell, and she just got headbutted by him as he went down. Before I could process my actions, I'd kicked him in the side, hoping to knock the wind out of him and to keep him down, and one of the other guys there got on his back to hold him down. I dropped down to sit across his legs to stop him from kicking, and I yelled to have someone call the cops. It was exhausting holding him down, but it probably didn't take as long as we thought it did. The police showed up, talked to all of us, and he was left in the back of the cop car as we waited for her parents to get there. The cops talked to her parents and made it seem like it was just a bunch of teenage drama. Her parents got pretty mad at them about this, and even escorted them into the house to show them their knives, to show the one that he had wasn't from their place. He did leave with the cops, and their parents decided to stay home for the rest of the night, but they didn't bother us. The rest of the night went fine. We just had to cheer up Iris a bit as she felt her party had been ruined when, really, it gave us something to laugh about. And, to be honest, I felt like we made a good team of guys protecting the girls. 
we did later learn that since he was technically a minor, they didn't really hold him. They brought him in, called his dad to come get him, and once he did, he was free to do whatever he wanted to again. Her parents had to press charges and file a restraining order when he slashed the tires on one of their cars, before they finally took action. Shortly after the party, he seemed to only go to school with the sole purpose of harassing Iris and sending us both death threats until he just stopped showing up. I'm unsure if he just dropped, or if he had to change districts due to the charges. This recently came up as I'm still close friends with Iris, and I'm actually the godfather to her two young girls. We started talking about school, and we both went to look him up and found out that he is serving a 12-year sentence for aggravated assault, kidnapping, and a couple other charges, and it really freaked her out. Iris was always a friendly, outgoing girl, and I truly think she had feelings for him, but that soon changed when his true demeanor also came out. I am thankful that she got away from him before something else happened to her. I just feel bad for anyone else that was unfortunate to be involved with him. So, yeah, that was probably one of the most eventful Halloweens that I ever had. Admittedly, I was a foolish and immature teenage girl when I graduated high school 23 years ago. While others were focused on securing military futures and or furthering their education, I was really only looking forward to move out of my parents' home and moving in with my high school sweetheart. It would end up being a huge mistake that I regret to this day, but I digress. For the sake of anonymity, we'll call him Jack. Though we lived in different towns and attended different schools, Jack and I had been dating for a few years prior to graduation. When we weren't in school, we were inseparable, so it was no surprise to anyone when we started looking for a place to rent and move in together. What did come as a surprise, however was Jack's suggestion to share a place with two of his friends so that we could all split the bills. It wasn't quite what I had in mind, but I was familiar with both of them and eventually, against my better judgment, agreed to having roommates. The four of us soon moved into the upstairs apartment of an old two-story house in a seedy neighborhood, Of course, it wasn't long before stuff hit the fan, as neither of the roommates consistently paid their share of the rent, and the place was overrun by people who didn't live there. The constant drug use, fighting, property damage, kicking out random people sleeping on the couch, etc., it was pure chaos. And I was just an outcast, living somewhere that I clearly didn't belong but the worst part of it all for me was that Jack and I had grown apart. It was as if I never really knew Jack at all. No pun intended. Living in a house full of potheads and drug addicts for several months made me hate drugs, and even weed, to be honest. 
yet I continued to smoke it myself in an attempt to find some semblance of peace and happiness. My own friends would visit often, which also helped me to cope with the hell that I was living to some extent. But still, any time I had a reason to get out of that house, I did, and so was the case on Halloween night of that year. My friend Steph, not her real name, had stopped by to hang out. We both smoked for a bit before getting the munchies and realizing it was Halloween. Being that there was never any food in the house, because someone would always steal it, we quickly recognized the solution to our problem and set out on foot to relive our youth and score some free chocolate bars. Now, I know what you might be thinking. Yes, we were too old for trick-or-treating. Yes, we should have been ashamed of ourselves for taking candy. That was meant for little kids. Yes, we were selfish and immature, and no, we did not care. We were just hungry. The timing was perfect, as people had just started filing down the street with kids in goofy costumes racing from door to door. Steph and I weren't wearing costumes because, well, we were bums. And that's the answer we gave every time we knocked on a door and they asked. I'm sure the ones who didn't question us had already figured that out when they saw the used wrinkly Walmart bag that we held open for candy, though. Having satisfied our munchies while eating candy along our little adventure, we decided to keep walking and knocking as long as we could to increase our future candy stash. It wasn't until the streets were silent and empty with nearly every porch light turned off, before we finally called it quits and began our long trek back to the apartment in the dark. The mood soon changed on the walk back, though. Up to that point, it had been a fun and memorable night, but for some reason neither of us could shake this awful feeling of impending doom, as if we were about to star in our own real-life horror movie. From a rational perspective... This fear was simply due to walking in the dark on Halloween, but the fact that we never told anyone where we were going, or what we were doing, stuck in our minds. We weren't even sure if anyone knew that we had left the apartment. Not that any of them would have cared, but the mere thought of nobody having a shred of information to share if we went missing somehow, it was suddenly quite unsettling. The night air grew colder by the time we finally found ourselves speeding down the hilly block of houses that led to my apartment, and we were both glad to see that the porch light in front of my door was still on. We slowed our pace toward the bottom of the hill as we crossed the street towards the sidewalk, and our fears soon became reality. From behind a vehicle parked in our neighbor's driveway, a very tall man quietly stepped out of the darkness. As silly as it sounds, he was wearing what appeared to be a large, hairy werewolf mask draped over his entire head, paired with Freddy Krueger gloves on his hands. He stared intently, gently tapping the long, spiky claws of one of the gloves against his chest, as he rounded the bumper of the vehicle before slowly moving towards us with each step. It was actually quite terrifying at first but I quickly assumed that it must have been someone we knew from the apartments trying to scare us. So, 
brave little me started laughing and mocking his stupid outfit. What the man did next, though, chilled me to my core. Still silent, he stopped moving, cocked his head to one side, and lowered his hand from his chest. Then, he suddenly started speedwalking right towards us. A second wave of fear coursed through my veins as Steph and I instantly bolted across the sidewalk toward the front door. Steph made it to the threshold first, and I leapt inside soon after, quickly trying to slam the door and lock it. I saw the wolf mask facing me immediately behind the door as I did so, and just as I locked the deadbolt, he tried turning the handle from the other side of the door to get in. We were merely a split second away from whatever that was. Steph and I collapsed on the floor trying to catch our breath as we heard him scratching at the door with his claws. Someone eventually looked down the stairwell to see what the commotion was about, but by that time the scratching ceased. As we made our way upstairs to see who was and who wasn't in the apartment, I was shocked to see a room full of people that included both of the guys I suspected of pulling the prank, as they were similar in height and build to the man outside. One of the guys did go outside to see who might be trying to get in, but the man was long gone. Everyone in the apartment denied having anything to do with it, and they all couldn't have cared less, including Jack, so it really didn't seem like they were behind it. The only other possibility that crossed my mind was the guy who lived below us with his wife and baby on the first floor, but when I later asked the wife about it, she told me that it couldn't have been him because they were all inside that night, and they didn't have any company. Steph and I never did learn the true identity of the Wolfman, and we will never know what his true intentions were that night. Perhaps it was a well-orchestrated prank by someone we knew, or maybe it was simply a prank by a random stranger. I prefer to think of it as a prank either way because, regardless of who was behind the mask, the thought of this being anything other than a prank is very disturbing. As for Jack, our relationship finally ended when I left him. After I moved out, he kicked his friends out of the apartment for not paying rent, and he was stuck cleaning up the mess they left behind. Great time to man up, Jack. To anyone who made it this far, trust your instincts. Stay smart, stay safe, and stay sane out there. I was a pretty dumb teenager, or preteen, growing up. I always tried to push the boundaries of what I was allowed to do or what I could get away with. I had a couple of younger siblings, too, and one older than me, so I guess you could call it the middle child syndrome. I wanted the freedom my older brother had, as he had his own car and was able to go wherever he wanted, with little question from my parents. I also ended up watching my little sister and brother at times when I wanted to hang out with my friends. So, when my parents told me that I was too old to trick-or-treat, but said that I could stay home and hand out candy, I became a little upset. I was okay with not going with them to trick-or-treat, but 
I certainly did not want to stay cooped up at home during the holiday. So, I voiced my concerns. Thankfully, they finally saw my side of things and agreed to let me stay with a friend for the night. I quickly packed a small bag of things, called my friend to have their parents pick me up, and I was free for the night. The thing is, we made plans, so I was hopeful that my parents would agree to let me go. My friend, Charlie, his brother Mikey, who was two years older than us, and I were all going to meet up with a few other friends at an old cemetery. We were just going to walk around, tell stories, and maybe try our hand at ghost hunting. All in all, it was the three of us plus Mikey's friend that they called Trout, plus our other three friends, Becca, Lance, and Mira. We lived in a pretty small town with very little crime, and everyone kept to themselves. Not only was crime uncommon, but anything really worth talking about, which meant there was little life going on after dark. This was how we got away with going to the cemetery. It was a pretty old one, and I couldn't recall ever seeing a service ever being held there. So I think it was just kept as it was, and that was that. It was also within walking distance, so we all met there. There weren't any trespassing signs when we got there, just a small gate to keep cars from going in it. We could practically just step over it. The girls became nervous right from the start, but we did our best to keep them calm so we didn't have to leave before we even did anything. So, we got in and started walking around, looking at the different headstones and trying to find the oldest one. After looking at them all, and some of the harmless but eerie sayings on them, we made our way over behind the small building that was there. There was a small clearing behind it with a couple of milk crates, a bucket with water and cigarette butts in it, and some other random stuff, and then the back of the cemetery was lined with trees. We stopped there for a bit and just talked, teasing each other. Mikey and Trout told us some creepy story about a kid who unalived himself in the gym locker rooms at the old high school several years ago, and that he was now haunting it claiming that that's why they built the new school. The old high school is now for the board or something, so it's not really used a lot. The girls were definitely freaking out, and Charlie kept affirming everything he was saying, but I think the rest of us were a little skeptical. They mentioned that they wanted to try to break in there to see, but argued with Charlie and I about going, saying that if he got caught... He didn't want us to get into trouble, too. After some time, we got more on the topic of ghosts, and again, Mikey and Trout tried to spook us, saying there was definitely paranormal stuff going on here. While we joked around, the girls were getting more scared and started saying that we should leave. The rest of us weren't really ready to head back, though, so they said they would just walk back alone. Becca lived the closest, and she was pretty much down the street from the cemetery, and Mira was staying the night with her, too. While it was a mood kill, I would like to think that I was still some kind of gentleman, so I agreed to walk them out, just to make sure they got out okay, and that way I could see them most the way down the sidewalk. Lance said that he would go with us, too, so the other three stayed where they were until we got back. 
the cemetery went pretty far back, and the entrance was to the side a bit more so we would lose sight of the others from the front for sure. Not to mention the fact that there were no lights in there. The only light that we had was from the flashlights that we brought and from those that had cell phones. I was not one of those people, but the girls shared a flashlight and I had mine as well. We didn't talk much on our way to the front, but then Becca turned around and asked me what I had said. When I said that we didn't say anything, she looked confused or suspicious, but continued on. That's when I presume I heard what she did. It sounded like someone whispering very quickly, so I I couldn't make out what was being said. I brought it up, and they all agreed that they heard it too. We tried to ignore it, but the girls only seemed to be more worried. That's when from the corner of my eye to the right, opposite of the building, I saw a dark figure run across the grounds. I assume that Becca saw it too because she screamed. Lance and I tried to calm them and tell them just to hurry up, so they started running. The next thing I know was we started picking up the pace to keep up with them when I felt someone push me from behind. I fell to the ground and everything went immediately pitch black. It made no sense to not be able to see anything. I could at least make out dark shapes of the plots, my friends, or hell, wherever my flashlight landed, but there was nothing. Then, the gurgling sounds started. It was like someone was right by my ear choking on water or something, and lastly was the pressure. I couldn't breathe. It felt as if someone was covering my face. I remember swinging my arms in front of me trying to grab or push off whatever was on me, but nothing was working. Then, out of nowhere, I could hear Lance yelling my name and I was being pulled to a streetlight. I looked around confused, not understanding what just happened, but ironically, all three of them were as pale as a ghost. I asked them what happened when they explained that they had just heard the thump of me falling to the ground. Lance ran over to me and watched horrified as my eyes were wide open, seemingly trying to look around while my arms flailed in front of me like I was fighting something. He said there was nothing there, though. He finally found an opening to grab my arm and pretty much dragged me out of there until I stood on my own feet. I sat on the curb while he called Charlie, telling him that we needed to leave. And they finally walked back to the front, all looking a bit concerned. Lance explained what he saw, and then I explained my side of it. Mikey didn't seem to take it serious at first, saying that we were just messing with him, but Charlie seemed convinced of what happened. I certainly wasn't ready to go back in there after whatever the hell that was, so we finally convinced Mikey and Trout to go. We walked the girls back to Becca's place, and I did my best to act like I was fine so as to not worry them. But honestly, that scared the hell out of me. I don't want to say that I thought I was going to die, but the fact that I seemed to go completely blind and couldn't breathe, it was pretty damn terrifying. The rest of us walked to a nearby gas station to be in the light, and we talked about what happened a bit more. Charlie, Mikey, and Trout claimed that they were behind the building the whole time, 
and even thought that we were trying to pull some kind of prank because they could hear the whispering and gurgling too. I don't think they were trying to mess with us either, since Lance ran for me and clearly didn't see anyone around. We ended up going back to Charlie's house for a while to chill before Trout and Lance went home too. I didn't really sleep that night. I was still pretty shaken up and wondering what that could have been or meant. I am past it now that I'm an adult, but I still tell people about it because it was one of the most terrifying things to happen to me. If anyone out there knows what that could have been or meant, though, I'm all for hearing your thoughts. Oh, and no, I did not and will not be going back to that cemetery. I think this happened back around 2003, when we lived in Mississippi. I was about 14 at the time, and my little brother would have been around 9. We had gone trick-or-treating for several years up to this point, and the year prior we did a lot of it around our neighborhood by ourselves. I always loved going door-to-door, and was even more fun when it was just the two of us. I felt like a grown-up being in charge of my little brother. I was also really looking forward to that year because my brother and I really enjoyed the movie Lilo and Stitch, and he wanted to dress up as Stitch. I was really close to my brother, so I decided that I would go as Lilo and make us a cute matching pair as well as an easy costume for me. While I love Halloween and trick-or-treating, I had a sensory issue and still do so I don't like to wear a lot of things or layers at once. I already had long dark hair, so I didn't even need a wig. Just a cute little red dress, really. The problem I had that year, though, was what I was hearing on the news. There had been reports of a couple of kids that had gone missing that were close to my age. I wasn't good with locations, so I don't remember what city it was in exactly, but... I do remember that it was somewhere close to us. It honestly scared me, as I realized how many times I was alone. My parents often left me at home with and without my brother when they had to run to the store or something short like that. I had to walk down the street to go to the bus stop and my parents wouldn't even be able to see me from the front door. I even rode my bike around the block or down to the little gas station by myself. Hearing these stories of kids coming up missing, it alarmed me, but my parents didn't seem to think there was anything to worry about. When the news stories came up, my mom would always make remarks about how stupid can you be, and would criticize the parents and blame them for not watching their kids closely. However, She still told us to walk the block by ourselves, and when I asked if it was okay, she pretty much said, yeah, why wouldn't it be? Parents of the year, right? So, we all got dressed up, and I made sure to bring my dad's shop flashlight, because it was made of some pretty hefty metal, and I stuffed it in my candy bag. I figured it would be good to have as both a light source and a possible weapon. I also made a mental note while we were out to keep a close eye on our surroundings. 
I was a little nervous since this whole night involved us going to strangers' houses alone, but because Halloween was one of my favorite holidays, I was determined to remain vigilant and also have a good time, so as to not worry or frighten my little brother. We made our way uphill first, as there were only three houses that way, before we rounded the corner. After the turn, there was an empty house, because I remember them recently renovating it, and then the road curved into a cul-de-sac that had four houses in it. We went to each one of those, and between just those few houses, our bags were already feeling pretty full. Between our candy load and how excited my brother was, I was starting to loosen up a bit and have more fun with it. We left the dead end and continued down the road, making our way to a house that had really gone all out. The whole yard was covered in creepy decorations from a gory graveyard, moving ghosts in the tree, and they even made a path that you had to walk through to get to the door. One guy was even in a Grim Reaper costume, standing still until you walked by, and would scare you. I was surprised that my brother wanted to go through it, and... In fact, he laughed after getting scared. When we got to the door, the older couple complimented our costumes, gave us a big handful of candy, and asked us a few questions. After chatting some, we left through the other side of the yard and back through the front gate. As we walked a bit, my brother was getting excited about one of the little toys that he noticed the last house had handed out, and started digging in his bag while we walked. He was wanting to carry it with him, but I was trying to get him to stop until we got to the corner where there was better light. Unfortunately, the exact thing I was wanting to avoid happened when we nearly ran into someone in front of us. At first, I looked up to see this tall man wearing some kind of hooded poncho or something. When I think back about this event, I start to realize that I had no idea where this guy had come from. There was a small group of kids and adults ahead of us, but they had already moved on, and no one had walked by us since we left the house. I suppose he could have been behind us and got ahead when we stopped at the house, but I don't recall ever seeing someone ahead of us. Anyways, I gasped a bit as I stepped backwards and apologized to the man. His response to this was saying in a really creepy way, Oh, it's alright, baby girl. Are you okay? My parents don't even call me that, so it immediately made me feel weird. So I just said that I was fine and grabbed my brother's hand and walked around him. I started feeling like I was being watched, so I looked back, and I saw the guy still standing in the same spot, but now facing towards us. I turned back around and tried to get my brother to speed up so we could get to the next house. As we left the next one, the poncho guy was standing on the sidewalk right by the house. He was smiling and he made a comment about our bags looking heavy and asked if we needed help carrying them. I wasn't very well mannered when it came to being scared or people that made me uncomfortable, so I just said no as firm and grown up as I could, and again pulled my brother along. I was really starting to become more panicked at this point, wondering what this guy's true intentions were, 
Surely it wasn't just a ruse to take our candy. He was an adult, or at least looked like it, so he could have gotten some on his own. So, if not the candy, what else would he want with young kids like us? It started freaking me out more when I thought about the kids that had been kidnapped recently. It was this guy responsible for them. Was he trying to find a good opportunity to grab us, too? I started looking around to see if there were any adults nearby, or even a group of children that I saw earlier thinking we would at least be safer with them, but even they were gone. My last hope was Ms. Marsha's house. Marsha was an older lady that worked at the front desk of the office that my mom worked for. She was very sweet and always gave my brother and I some kind of treat when we went there with my mom for any reason. She actually lived on the road parallel, or behind our home basically, which was also the road that we were on. It was a few houses down after the corner, so I started telling my brother that we should go to her house first. He didn't seem to mind, possibly because he was reading the situation too, or he was just getting tired. As we passed the first house, I heard the familiar creepy voice saying, Hey, you missed one, didn't you? Before I could say anything, though, my brother yelled out, You're being weird! So I again held his hand, and we ran. I was scared that this guy would get mad at my brother's comment, although I was glad that he said it, and possibly chase us, so I wanted to get there fast. We made it to her house, and I pushed my brother ahead of me as I grabbed his bag from him and started knocking on the door. Thankfully, she was home and had a bowl of candy in her arms. I frantically asked her if we could come in as I looked behind me and I didn't see the guy. She, of course, invited us in, shutting the door behind us, asking what was wrong. I started explaining the situation to her, and she said that I did a very smart thing by trying to avoid him and going to her home immediately. She gave us both some water, and we sat there and watched TV while she went to call her mom. After a short time, there was a knock on the door. I was trying to keep calm, thinking it was Halloween after all, and thinking that it was probably just kids, but when Marsha answered the door, it was that same guy. He tried giving her some story about us being his kids, and apologized for us running into her house. Marsha, knowing our parents, of course, told him off, saying he needed to leave as the cops had already been called. I remember his face clearly at this point, trying to look past her at us, and I heard him say, Oh, I must have the wrong house. <laughs> Good night. And walk away. She shut the door but went and sat at the window, presumably watching where he went. It didn't take long for my parents to show up, and then the cops around the same time. We told them what happened while we were out, and described the guy the best that we could since it was dark. I remember giving Marsha a big hug before we left, being incredibly thankful that she was there, as I would have been shy just asking some random person to come into their house. As far as I'm aware, the guy was never found, which is still terrifying. But sometimes, I wonder what his intentions were, and think, 
could it have been the same guy from the news? Also, we just went home that night from there, and my parents followed us in the car the following years. I guess at least they agreed to do that. This was actually something that happened to me, and I still struggle to understand it. As a younger child, maybe seven or eight, I think, I lived in a small house with an older brother that I'll call Jeff. He was probably four or five years older than me, and we lived with my dad and my pregnant mother. I didn't get along with my brother, or rather, he didn't get along with me. It was just the two of us, so of course I wanted to play and hang out with him, but it was like he hated me. I don't know why or if I did something, but if so, I don't remember ever doing anything. It started as Jeff just not wanting to have anything to do with me. I would ask if he wanted to play cars or something, and he would say no. When one of us complained about being bored, my parents would tell us to go play together, and he would get mad at me for it. He would tell me things like he hated me and he didn't want to play with me, so I would end up playing something alone while he sat on his bed and stared at the ceiling or watched TV. We had an old, small TV in our room that got probably four channels. Sometimes while we were alone, like in our room or out back playing, he would hit me or push me down. He would call me names, say I was useless, and all for no apparent reason. We could just be taking turns going across the monkey bars in our playset, and he would snap. And if I told my parents, he would then punish me when we went to bed, so I had a lot of accidental falls and trips, and my parents were none the wiser. So, that's where this incident takes place. Jeff was becoming more and more aggressive towards me. Anytime that he could, he would. He would even try to hurt me with anything that he could find, like stabbing my arm with a pencil or making me step on thumbtacks. One night, after dinner, I was in the bathroom brushing my teeth, and Jeff knocked on the door and kept demanding that I get out. So... I finished quickly, and as I left the bathroom, I said something to him about being patient, and as I walked past him, he pushed me, causing me to fall down the stairs. However, my mom was just walking by and actually saw him do this, so he did get into a lot of trouble with it. I was more scared that he got in trouble than happy, because I could feel the anger in him, and I knew that I wasn't going to be able to sleep that night. So, we went to bed as normal. We had bunk beds, and he was on the top. I remember that I tried to stay awake as long as possible, worried that he would hurt me, but the sleep won, and I ended up drifting off. But then I woke up when I felt pressure on my chest. It was Jeff sitting on top of me and he looked furious. That's when I noticed that I couldn't breathe. 
I felt like I couldn't inhale at all and was trying to tell Jeff to get off. He just kept saying these horrible things to me, like he wished he was still an only kid, that I was the worst brother, that my parents didn't love me and that I should just die. I remember being terrified for my life. I could feel something around my throat, and it was starting to hurt. I was kicking and swinging my arms, doing everything I could to get him off of me, but to no avail. The last thing I remember was the room going black, and then I could hear my mom screaming and crying my name. I could hear my dad yelling, What did you do? And then everything went muffled again, and I believe I went unconscious. That was the last memory that I had of Jeff. I've tried very hard to remember anything after that, but I can't. And I start feeling sick when I do try. Because now, things are completely different. I now live with my mom and dad who look completely different. My first mom had short, curly black hair, and she was also really short compared to the massive man that my dad was. He was also bald and had a really deep voice. My new mom is almost taller than my dad, and she has medium-length brown straight hair. My new dad was thin and definitely shorter than my old dad. He also had longer blonde hair that he normally kept braided, and he was always so soft-spoken. The other weird thing is, I'm now an only child. I remember waking up one day and following a normal routine of making my own breakfast and watching cartoons until my parents got up and took me to school. But then, I started getting these visions or recollections of Jeff, and it seemed so real. I know that it was. I remember the pain that I endured. I remember the scent of my mother's perfume. I remember the feeling of the scar on my father's hand. When I started remembering this, I became scared that maybe I did survive and was given to another family. I was afraid to bring it up because I didn't want to know what happened. I did miss my old parents, but I thought maybe they got in trouble too so I always kept this to myself. I have gotten the two memories mixed up, though, because I'll mention something that happened in my first life, and my new parents will look confused and mention how that never happened, or that they don't remember anything like that. So now, I find it difficult to bring up past memories unless the memory actually involves my new parents, so I at least know that it was this life. There was one time, though, that I had to ask. It was the weekend, and my parents took me to a local amusement park to celebrate. I completed the school year with all passing grades, which wasn't hard for me, as I always excelled at school, but it was nice to have it recognized. And I was accepted into an after-school club that focused on a different country each year. This year would be France. The kids would also have a chance to go to the country with one parent or guardian the following year. My parents were both very proud of me, and it was the most fun I've ever remembered having. I played games with them, 
all of us being competitive, we rode on a few rides together, and we had a wonderful dinner. I felt incredibly loved that it was overwhelming, and I had slipped out something about thanking them for changing my life. They were confused and asked what I meant by that, and I tried to play it off as just miswording something, but they didn't buy it and they asked me to explain. I then asked them if I had another brother, and they denied it, looking genuinely confused. I then mentioned what I remembered about Jeff, about feeling like he was hurting me, without being specific, like I needed to protect them. They looked concerned, and I just remember my mom gave me a huge hug and told me that it must have been a very vivid dream that I'd had, maybe when I was really sick, but she assured me that nothing like that had ever happened. They assured me that I had always been an only child, and that they knew no one by the name of Jeff. I wanted to make myself believe that. That everything I remembered, years of that life, it was all just an incredibly vivid dream. But after hearing more about my illness, it really made me think that maybe I was reborn. I didn't and still don't remember anything in this life about being ill, and nothing before it. My parents showed me pictures of being in the hospital. Apparently I had caught strep throat, and it ended up turning into pneumonia. They learned from this that I had an autoimmune disease, and the pneumonia caused me to go into a coma. The doctors warned my parents that they should be prepared for the worst, and that I was probably too young to fight it. Miraculously, I started showing improvements, and I did beat it. I have no memory of getting sick, ever being in a hospital, or even getting out of it, and anything before getting sick. Since then, I've pretty much decided in my mind that I died that night. I think that my brother killed me, and I think that the boy that this body belonged to died, and for some reason that I still don't understand, I was given this body as a second chance. I don't like to dwell on it too much, because it starts making me depressed. I loved my brother, but no matter what I did, he hated me. He hated me to the point that he wanted me dead, and the fact that I got a second chance while another boy probably lost his life, it makes me feel like I'm not grateful enough for what I have. I still haven't talked to my parents about all of this, as I do fear the outcome. Would they believe me? Would they make fun of me or deny that it was even possible? Or would they disown me, thinking that I'm not their real son? My parents are still very loving and supportive to this day, so I don't think that they would, but it is a fear that I have. I think that, for now, I'll just keep it to you and your audience and be thankful for what I do have. And also, thank you for allowing me to share this with somebody. Hey there, friends. That was today's episode of the As the Raven Dreams podcast. 
and I really hope that you all enjoyed this collection of scary stories. If you did, please do consider checking out my YouTube channel, where I do these same stories, but a little bit earlier than I do them here on the podcast form, and also in slightly different collections. If you really enjoy the podcast, please do consider giving it a rating of any sort if the platform you're listening on has ratings. Any honest rating is appreciated by me, be it 5 star, 1 star, however you want to do it. Just know that rating the podcast helps tremendously. And, if you would like to support further, I do have a Patreon and channel memberships if you'd like to do things on the YouTube side, where for as little as a dollar a month, you get early access to my content. Never ever expected, but always appreciated. That said, friends, I hope that I do see you on the next episode of this podcast. And of course, until then, sleep well.